Harmon. Freshman I sis. I think I finally got my plane tickets. Okay, okay. You ready? <laughs> I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready because you know, coming from Miami to Tallahassee for homecoming, it is a journey always. Yes, it is. Trying to get round trip plane tickets. Let me tell y'all about trying to fly into the Tallahassee. Region. You know better. We've already had this conversation, Freshman sis. I know. See, okay, all right. I, I see. Get a good ticket to homecoming. You got to buy that ticket like six months in advance. And I waited for like 30 days in advance. And them prices just wasn't. Those prices were looking like summer vacation money. Yeah. But I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it, Carmen. I got it. I'm in there. So all I need is a couple of outfits. What about you, Carmen? What about you? And then you know I'm ready. I've been I've been planning this a year out. So okay. you know how I do. Backwards plan. From the day we arrived. You gonna, housing got all that already ready to go so so, so, so you're, gonna, you're gonna bring waiting it on? on you freshman sis waiting <laughs> on you This is another episode of Legends of the Fall. Tonight, this is a special episode where um, we are remembering our fallen classmates. Um, so this evening, um, we will take time and remember our classmates. We will talk about stories, um, memories, but we'll also talk about resources that are available also with respect to um, mental health, grief, loss, and well-being. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce um, our classmates that are on our panel tonight. So we have um, Cliff Stevenson, we have Jaina Rady, Jada Rainey, and we have Kawanza Dukes. Welcome. Thank you, Carmen. How's it going? Doing well. How are you? Doing good. Good. Thanks good. for inviting me. Good to so see everybody. Hi, Carmen. Yes. Hi, Tracy. Hey, everybody looks the same. And I was gonna say everybody looking good. The black hey. does not crack for viewers you know out there. The does not crack. So yes, everybody's looking Fine. lovely tonight. You look good too, Norm. <laughs> <laughs> That's Norm. That's our long-suffering studio engineer. <laughs> Hubba Norm. Hubba Norm. Hubba. So Cliff, we'll start out with you. Just a brief introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself, why you chose the instrument you chose, and what brought you to FAMU? Uh, Cliff Stevenson, uh, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, moved down to Southfield, Michigan when I was a young boy. Uh, started playing trumpet. Uh, around the fourth grade and uh, Southfield, I was fortunate uh, they had a fifth grade music program. So uh, I was ready for that fifth grade music program. Uh, I remember I had a solo um, in fifth grade playing trumpet. I played uh, Ice Castles with an accompanist with all the combined elementary school bands. And of course, my parents were just in awe. So uh, I went into middle school um, playing the trumpet. And I was in the advanced band, the advanced jazz band. But something about that baritone when I was playing the music 
you know, that middle melody just, it, it touched me in a way where I just wanted to play it. So I asked my middle school band director, hey, can I pick this up? Can I play the baritone? Just so happened that it was the same fingering, uh, same key uh, as my trumpet. So it was an easy transition. And it just so happened we didn't have any baritone players. So she was like, hey, why don't you just go on baritone? From seventh grade all the way up, I've just been a baritone euphonious from there. So that's how it started with the baritone. Um, I just love the sound, the richness, the range um, of that baritone and the melodies that come from it. It's just uh, how you feel playing the lines on the baritone. It's just, it's nostalgic. It really is. Um, how I got to the hundred. I uh, was in a core marching band uh, in high school. It started off really bad for marching band. I almost didn't continue marching band. I was a football player. I played football uh, ninth grade. I played football 10th grade. And it was at a crossroad where it was like, hey, uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to do band or are you going to do football? And uh, band just wasn't touching me. We weren't playing top 40. Uh, it wasn't that we were core. It's just we weren't good at the core. You know, it wasn't good DCI. We would go to other DCI competitions. Uh, my director just wasn't any good. Um, he left 10th grade. Springtime, lo and behold, here comes Ben McKnight, um, Miami Central graduate, okay. also FAMU graduate, right? Just so happens Ben McKnight is looking for a job. Same time, we're looking for a band director. Um, at the time, we had great administrators. We had a principal who was also from uh, Tennessee State. Uh, he was also a band director. We had a superintendent who wanted to give us a band that the kids really wanted to do. So they hosted interviews with the kids. I was part of that interview process, a selective group of kids. Directors came in, it was a DCI, DCI, and it was Ben McKnight. And it wasn't the fact that it was just traditional. Ben came in on his A-game. He had a video, he was suited and booted. He had like props. He had, you know, what your uniform was going to look like potentially. And it was, he really sold us. From there, it was just, um, okay, you're hired spring of 95, but we don't have a program. So, hey, you guys want to go to family band camp? Sure. Was, you know, it's family band camp. Have no idea what we're getting into. <laughs> I've never marched a day in my life traditional. You know, I've Some never been guys. in Tallahassee. It was just crazy, um, but it opened us up wide open. You know, by the end of Bandcamp 95, we were hooked and we were hooked real bad. And we came back and it was just infectious. We would just be doing the maneuvers. We were doing the dance routine. I think at the time it was the uh, ride that train, the choo-choo. Oh, ride that train, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. So we was bringing the Southern culture up to the Midwest, it was just a beautiful thing. So um, we just, we spearheaded a program. We spearheaded a program that lasted for uh, about 25, you know, 30 years. You know, they have a new band director now, unfortunately, the style has changed, but it was great to be a charter member there. Uh, but the funny thing about that, I was a drum major for that. I didn't play baritone when I marched. I didn't march baritone at all. First time I marched baritone was when I went to family band camp 97. 
Wow. Yeah. So I was just traditional marching band FAMU doing drum major, 95, 96. And then 97, I'm coming down there. Of course, you can't start off on drum major, but I never marched with baritone. And it was wow. it was a, a tough transition, but uh, I did it. Cliff, you could have fooled me. Really? Well, really? Yeah. Yes. yeah. You could have yeah. fooled me. I did not know that. So what we were seeing during pre-drill was like you like getting to master marching with the upright baritone. Get yeah. Out of here. Get yeah. Out of here. Playing. I, I never played any of the music. I never played any of the marches. Um, I never really had that level of projection and intensity and attacks and tonality, you know, to carry with that. That was all new. I really didn't get my sound quality until like my second, maybe junior year. But, you know, it was it was work. Incredible. I really had to work. Incredible. Yeah. How about Cliff? How about Cliff? Hold on. You're right. <laughs> right on. That's awesome. But that's a testament though. I was to the... Yeah, that's a testament to the ethic though of what it takes. That oh yeah. Oh yeah. You saw that summit and you climbed it. You got there. Okay. It was a it was an opportunity, I'll tell you. Uh I I didn't have a route to college. I, I really didn't. Um had had it not been for Ben McKnight, had it not been for his call down to Dr. White and say, hey, I have somebody who's trying to get into FAMU, whose SATs really aren't the greatest, and whose GPA just isn't all that attractive. And what he offered for me and uh, my cousin, Stephen Fair, uh, Gerber baby, uh, we both had, we had to do a summer program in order to get into FAMU. So we graduated a week later, we in Tallahassee for a summer program where we have to take classes all that summer just to be able to get into FAMU because I was a horrible student. I must say I was a horrible student. Uh, I just didn't have that drive and tenacity to really dedicate a vocation. You know, I had some other things in mind that I was going to do and I wanted to work out those other things. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it was a, a different situation. So it was really all we had. We said, hey, if we want to go to college, uh, we got a route to FAMU, Steve. You, you want to go to college? Let's go. Let's, and, and, that's, and the rest is history, you know. Amazing. Yeah. All right. Next, Incredible. let's move on to Jada Rainey, freshman sis out of St. Pete, right? Yep, yeah. St. Petersburg, Florida. All right. Tell yeah. us about yourself. What, what uh, made you percussion? And what brought well, you on down to fam? I was I was really uh, trained as a, p a pianist. I um, started lessons at five years old. Uh, my parents realized I had a gift for that. And my mom always wanted to play. So they uh, put me in lessons and pushed me through that. So I really was playing piano. And uh, of course, that's not something that is available in school. So when I got in middle school, um, well, I think I was about seven or eight years old. My dad, undercover, uh, he, when I... Okay, there's a big gap uh, between myself and my siblings. I'm the um, last one. So uh, I didn't grow up knowing a lot about what my dad did or didn't do. By the time I came along, he was a preacher. Uh, he really didn't share about what he did a whole lot before. 
and I knew he played drum set, but I didn't know. I found out later that he actually marched in Cookman's band as a drummer, really? a snare drummer. Yeah. What? Hold yeah. on, <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, he went to Bethune Cookman. Wow. Uh, graduated in 1959. Yeah. Oh. Uh, he was a marching yeah, old school Cookman. Cookman. The old yeah. Cookman. The old school. When they had like 30 members, he said, uh, he told me that. <laughs> Sometime later, he said, oh, the 100 always had 100. <laughs> Say, well, we had like 30 people back then. <laughs> so um, I think I was about seven, eight years old and uh, climbed under the bed messing around and I found a drumstick. And that started something for me. Now, he didn't want me to play because I don't know whatever his issues were with playing. Um, it got him away from high school. He didn't graduate high school and went through some things. So he was thinking drums was a distraction, but I, I I caught on to it. So when I got to middle school and they said, what do you want to play? It was either play because piano is a C instrument, either play French horn or play percussion. And uh, the, the banner, I don't really need a French horn. So he put me in the back. So I started playing percussion. And of course I was, wow. I could read music pretty, you know, really well being that I had started so young. So I immediately went to like xylophone and bells and stuff like that and did great. So I came all the way through um, band that way. In uh, eighth grade, I'm not sure how we, there's another young man um, that was in, we went to a, fun, what we call a fundamental school down here. I don't know if they have those everywhere, but uh, Southside Fundamental. And um, somehow we got word about fam, you had a camp. And they were letting, eighth, even though it was supposed to be for high schoolers, they were letting eighth graders, if you're coming out of eighth grade, going to ninth, they will let you go. And we signed up and went just like on a whim. I, I'm not quite sure why, because uh, St. Pete area is not known for traditional style marching. It was all pretty much core and our bands were not that good in the nineties. They, they, they still suffer. So, but we went and, uh, I just got, when I saw the, the camaraderie, how everybody was and the family atmosphere, the size of the band, the power of the band, the things that they were doing, I got hooked. And from that point on, I was like, I'm going to film. And nothing you could you couldn't tell me. And even though my dad went, you know, my dad, I went to homecoming with him a couple of times and sat in Cookman section, but you couldn't tell me. I was like, I'm not going to Cookman. I'm going to fam. So <laughs> I was hooked from there on. So the next year I uh I came out to go to Lakewood High School and uh, we had a, a band director there that is a, a really good, he's an old school guy who played uh, horns for uh James Brown. And uh, he knew my dad. And my, my dad, like I said, my dad had the secret life. He, when the time I came along, he wasn't telling me, but my dad apparently pr played drum set pretty well. Cause they used to play for like when James Brown would come to town, uh, they would play for him. And uh, uh, my band director, Mr. Flemish, actually, after he went on the road with him too. And um, I also learned side note, St. Pete got a little, little shine that, the, you know, the, the, the off drum beat that James Brown used to use. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, that was made by somebody, uh, a guy from St. Pete um, wow. playing drums for him. So this is a really um, high concentration musician area in the 50s and 60s. But by the time I came along, growing up in the 80s and 90s, we didn't, I don't know where these guys were or what happened, but um, I kind of got that late. So I got I got uh, Mr. Flemings as a band director, but he was, uh, you know, up, by, up in age. And he was like, I'm, I'm sticking with core because this county was pushing core band. Uh, they just was, didn't believe that anybody could do traditional band. So he he got kind of sick of how everybody was acting and he kind of went away. So in 10th grade, we didn't have a band director. So my dad did a favor and 
talked to one of his old friends. He used to, they used to have a music studio together. Oh, did she freeze? Because uh -oh. he also was one of these old school Finish. guys he used to play with like Jerome and all these different, and uh, they put him as a figurehead. He really, by that time, <laughs> you know, he's 65. Uh, so he was, uh, they, they put him in and what I had did was just keep going to band camp and I got the music and the different things and I instituted the the marching style myself like Regina and, and, and BJ uh, BJ came like a little later but we kind of had to spearhead the band and we ran the band for the rest of the from 10th grade the time we graduated and we instituted the traditional style and turned Lakewood into a traditional style marching band which they did pretty good they kind of kept that style until like we just had a change over now and I think the guy that's out there, he's trying to do it, but he's not a family graduate and it's just kind of messy. But we we really we really started that. It switched over uh in, in like it was like 94, 95. It switched over and we were able to keep that style. So from there, I just knew I kept going to band camp. I just knew I said I'm gonna get in hundred. I don't know how I'm gonna get in hundred by any means necessary, because we really didn't have guidance. We didn't have, I didn't have a band director really to teach me a whole lot. I just what I got in the summer, I had to try to go off of and you know, the thing that really got me into the hundred was the fact I could read music very well. So that's how I got in. Mm. And the rest I is history. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just amazing to hear everyone's different paths and how that determination, that drive, it seems like a lot of us had, it was innate. And I don't know if it's the hundred was just the, the fertile soil where you could, you know, fully bloom and become what was already there. It was already within you. Yeah, I think just the quality of what of what I saw was just so impressed. I was like, I got to be a part of this. Yes. And I you just couldn't tell me, you know, no matter what uh, other things were available. I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna get there. And I had, you know, I had offers from other schools, but I was like, no, nah, I'm going to FAMU. So that's how I got there. I think it's for for me. I think it's amazing to learn how everybody started off, and because I I started off on trumpet. Then I went over to French horn because my band director, she was like, um, in middle school, she was like, well, I already have enough trumpets. You know, I need French horns. And because I had started off on trumpet and I did pretty okay, I was like second, like I played second part. And she was like, well, you know, I, I need French horn. So I was like, all right. So eighth grade, I started playing French horn and the rest was history. But it's just amazing. And I'm thinking I'm the only one that has like a checkered past because I, I always thought that somebody would start off on one instrument and that's how it was. So just learning how like each of you guys started off on one thing and then ended up on another and then went to FAMU, like, okay, here it is. It's just amazing how we all had to be like lights, camera, action when we hit that field in pre -drill. So this is just like, this is amazing. I do, I do have to give a shout out to uh, Myron Landers was... Um, he was running around. He was a senior when I was a, he was a section leader when I was a freshman and he was band camp for like, I think he was at the first band camp they ever had. So he was an influence that uh, got, you know, kind of got me like, look, you want to do this. So I kind of following the, the trail of somebody that he was a, a standout because that, that was not the style, you know, in this area at all. So. Deep hill to climb, but you made it. Right. Hard hill. <laughs> all right. And Miss Kawanza Dukes, please share your story. Wow, it's so good to, to hear everybody's story. Um, again, thank you, Carmen and Tracy. So Kawanza Dukes, um, I'm Texas, so 
uh, family in Florida, but I didn't get to uh, be and see the band. Um, I did start piano recitals early. Um, mom and dad just scrounging up money um, because they're cultured. My mom uh, played the keyboard and she sung in the church choir and she just brought us up with music. Uh, we had the record players going, the record player going in the house. And and so music was always there uh, for me. And so middle school came along and uh, having a little touch of ADHD, you know, I was just in a little bit of everything. And uh, they wanted to put me on trombone. And my dad was like, not my girl. Uh, <laughs> don't be on the flute. And so uh, that's where I started, uh, sixth grade. Um, I grew up uh, in an all Caucasian uh, environment. Uh, and so Texas A&M, the Aggies were what we looked up to. So I came from a military uh, band where we did sharp turns and we marched with a flute. So I marched with a flute up until my senior year of high school. But then on the flip side, my dad was so cultured and um, in African-American history and music that we would go to TSU, Ocean of Soul, uh, on the weekends. And they graduated from PV with their master's degree in the 80s. So I had the best of both worlds because Texas A&M, the Aggies, you know, um, that was just what it was in my area. Um, so my my parents graduated from Bethune-Cookman and I just think, I just wanted to be oppositional and I knew FAMU were their rivals and that was the only school I applied for. Um, and I was going and my dad says, well, why don't you go be in that band? And I'm like, okay, I, I, I don't remember. I'm sure that when we went to the classic, you know, I was afforded maybe a couple of times of scene, but we had a big family. So we, we didn't go to the classic that much, uh, growing up cause it costs. We went to see family and, and do Thanksgiving. And then we got on the road and came back to Texas. Um, and he just said, why don't you go be in that band? And I, I, I always listened uh, to my father. And um, I remember Dr. White uh, sending a letter and, and he says, yeah, but you got to learn how to play piccolo. And so um, before band camp 97, um, my dad went out and got me a piccolo and um, I stayed up practicing, learning, you know, this a high pitch instrument that I'd never put my hands on. Um, and then when I got to FAMU um, in the in the Marching 100, I was like, whoa, you know, whoa. <laughs> it, was, it was a huge culture shock, but I was committed to making, you know, if my dad saw it in me, I went with it. I really respected him. And, um, and I just rolled with the punches and it was, um, it was so good to, to see the Miami, um, freshman brothers and sisters and the Detroit freshman brothers and sisters. And I was just in shock pretty much my first year. Um, and then after that, I just slowly started to come into myself, 
um, and learn as much as I could because coming from a military band, I mean, we had our music on the stand and we had our little way of doing things. So again, um, being in the band and coming in 97 gave me so much confidence. Um, it really prepared me in a lot of ways to even do what I'm doing now. Um, the, the Marching 100 is, is, is just a really uh, near and dear experience in my heart. So, uh, and that's where I got to meet all of you wonderful people. So that's my story. Amazing. And again, a steep hill, steep oh, hill. But absolutely, we all rose to the occasion. So here we are, 25 years later. So now we're going to shift years. So the experiences that um, we went through, we're going to kind of take it back and um, spend some time remembering our fallen um, freshman brothers. So I'm going to call their names. And then um, after I call their names, I'll start with you, Cliff, because what's different about Cliff is that we have um, two freshman brothers that play the same instrument that we that we lost. Yeah. So I really thought it would be important to have a member of the baritone section to, to be able to share those memories with us. So our freshman brothers that are deceased are um, Kendrick Brown, Flag Corps, BJ, affectionately we call him BJ, Bernard Jones II, Keno Thompson, who played baritone, I'm sorry, BJ, um, played tenor drum, Carlton Simmons on saxophone, and Lawrence Sims um, on baritone. So Cliff, um, I'm going to turn, turn it over to you. Um, you know, we all went through similar experiences in the hundred. Can you share with us some of the memories that you have of, um, of our freshman brothers, Lawrence and our freshman brother, Kino? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And also for, uh, BJ, I met BJ first, uh, BJ ah. was part of that group. He was part of that summer group. Uh, you know, okay. that had to go to school uh, before that fall semester. So I got really cool with BJ and Patty Foote. Um, he loved hip hop, even though he was from St. Pete. You know, I couldn't believe it was somebody from Florida. And, you know, he was all hip hop. You could have swore he was from New York, you know, from from Bedstock. And he knew every all, all the hip hop artists. He had all the CDs. Um, it was just and his his energy was just infectious. Just a great guy. Just a positive dude. Uh, always willing to share um, his food, his knowledge, his time, his expertise, whatever. Um, and uh, I remember him uh, wanting to work <laughs> work out uh, to get strong as he can for the hundred. And he was taking this krill team uh, drink. Oh, I right? remember that. Oh my goodness! And, uh, he kept, Why are you drinking that? But anyway, <laughs> he would he was guzzling that stuff so bad that it started to swell his stomach up right so that's where he got the name egg belly from because you know you can't just drink it without actually working out you know and it, it's you just can't drink that in and of itself man so i always thought that was real funny um he also came with me when i got my tat you know for my hunter tat man very very fond memories of of, of bj man very good dude uh god bless the dead man i really Heart goes out to him uh, and his daughter, 
Um, and uh, who was he with? Uh, his his uh, I forgot her name, but she was also Melissa. Very, Melissa. Melissa. She was also very very sweet. Um, you know, it's like like souls recognize each other, and DJ was one of those like souls that you know we just recognize. You know, we came from the same spiritual cloth, and that was just great. Um, Puff um, and Kino, I, I met them during pre-drill. Um, Puff being a very uh, timid slash reserved, uh, mannerable, uh, positive young man, uh, and really didn't really know how this thing was going to go. Uh, he didn't really have a lot of people behind him from Jacksonville. And, you know, Puff is an old soul, um, so he's kind of reserved at first. So we didn't really hear much of Puff, uh, you know, the Puff that we all got to know and love until later on in the season when, you know, we can kind of lower our inhibitions a little bit and do some things that weren't marching and playing related. Um, we, me and Puff grew to have a great relationship. Uh, we would drive to Jacksonville every break because I would leave my car uh, over his house. You know, his grandma, I got to know his grandma very well. Um, it would be times where I would fly into Jacksonville because you guys talked about those flights. I would never fly in the tally. Um, well, we couldn't fly in the tally at, at first in 97, right? You can only fly into Jacksonville through Delta. And she would come and pick me up. Puff wouldn't be there. Puff would be in, in Tallahassee. I would hang out with Grandma, chill, chill, eat with her, you know, talk about Puff's upbringing. She was just, you know, Puff was cut from that same type of cloth, you know. Um, God just really blessed me to put some nice people in my life so far away that really, really protected me and treated me like family. Uh, Puff and his grandma was definitely one. Um, you guys all know how I adore my car, my Intrepid, you know, with, with my rims and my and my tent. Mm -hmm. I, I just gave that. Puff the keys. I, Puff, here you go. That's how much I trusted Puff. You know, here's the keys. Do, do what you want to, Puff, because I just knew that Puff wouldn't do anything. Um, Kino, uh, <laughs> Kino reminded me, just like a lot of the Miami folks, reminded me of Detroit and Florida. Uh, and what I mean when I say that is the the culture of Detroit, the short views mm -hmm. of the interaction and mm -hmm. how much we put on respect and emphasis we put on respect and how that is just a thin line. It can go either way. Miami is that, yep. right? You can get it, it, it on it, site. You can get it, it on site down in Miami. On site. <laughs> <laughs> on site. So we recognize that, um, the urbanness in that. So we really took to each other, um, like any other city, you know, Detroit and Miami kind of linked up because we were like one and the same. And Kino was always there. Um, you know, he was <laughs> a firecracker, you know, he would, he would get you into more situations than he would assist you with. But if you ever had an issue, he's the first in line to jump up and uh, be loyal and be protecting. If you needed a place to stay, you needed a ride, you needed some money, um, you know, you needed that encouragement. If you just needed to laugh, you know, he was just all of that. He encompassed all of that. And um, I also remember him and his brother, you know, really being uh, 
kind of kind of well to do in certain areas. He would show up with some fancy toys, you know. I'm I'm talking about an infinity with TVs and every headrest and um, you know, crazy sound system, you know, it was just he would come up and pull up and just be that exciting dude. Uh God bless the dead for Kino. Um, and it's unfortunate, you know, uh, when you hear about his passing, you hear about his depression um, and what he was going through. Um, you could just imagine as a black male uh, what we all had to go through. You know, I was a black male who had to leave uh, family without my degree and to go back into the same type of urban situation. And this is prior to the 2008 financial crisis. But leading up to that. Man, it was getting horrible out here, you know. Um, if you didn't have a college degree, there was no more automotive industry in Detroit. Uh, there was no more uh, gas and electric industry in Detroit. There wasn't any more healthcare industry in Detroit, right? Uh, it wasn't anything that can really support you. So uh, I, I really understood his space that he was in. And it's unfortunate that, you know, he didn't reach out or people didn't really pick up on the signs um, that the, the level of depression was there and that to let him know that it was okay, we're here for him. What he's feeling is not an exclusive emotion. Um, we, we are all battling something that's pretty familiar, you know, it, you know, and he shouldn't have to battle that alone. So uh, God bless the dead on both of those. Gentlemen, I think about him a whole lot going into our 25th anniversary. Um, you know, uh, many of their characteristics and attributes are still with me. I still say fat trick hey! to this day, right? <laughs> I, I said say that two that. weeks ago to somebody down here. I'm like, fat trick. Oh, I would, I, pull that on my, that oh trick. I would put that on my kids in a minute. Like, oh, I got a big fat trick for you. You, you, you just <laughs> do not know. And that's Keno. That's Keno Thompson right there, right? And 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 that's that's him. So... Uh, I carry their memory on just with the, doing the things that I know that they've done best and the influences that they left on me. Thank you so much, Cliff. Though some of that I hadn't thought about since we left FAMU. But yeah, it's just to be able to share. Are you still there? Yeah. Uh, I was like, cut out. Okay. Emotion like just, just to be able to share those memories and even learning that the first person that you actually met was BJ yeah. on campus. Yeah, yeah. One hey. thing about him though is coming from where I came from and saying you might relate, Kwanzaa, where we just didn't have that um wealth of upperclassmen or just had that crib that was there, that support. One thing about BJ was that. It didn't matter that I was from Oklahoma. He was like, you're my freshman sister. Right. Like it, it just felt more than just, okay, we're here and we're marching the same year. It was whatever you need, I got you. Somebody says something to you, let me know. And just having that, having that support. Cause like we had all talked about earlier, even at our age, we didn't necessarily know to go to the office of student services, or we didn't know to go on campus and say I need help or I'm still adjusting to even being a student so mm -hmm. in some way we provided that for ourselves and didn't even realize it I think we became our own village so just those memories of um of BJ looking out Lawrence too like you said as the season started to progress oh yeah the way he kind of became 
perspective of all of us. It didn't matter what you played, didn't matter what where you were from. Oh yeah. Over time we became family. Oh yeah, yeah. And he just came became that father figure as he stayed in everybody's business or just concern. Not, not, always not just checking on you. Always. Always checking on you. He wanted to be that father, that nurturer. Um, and he played it well. He really did. Definitely. Carmen, you mentioned BJ. Uh, you said uh, you, you you made a you had a phrase, um, but he did. He checked on us. You triggered me with the phrase that you said. Um, I remember BJ always coming up freshman sister. You okay? You all right? Let me yes. know mm-hmm. if and it meant so much to me because I didn't have like a clique or anything. You know, um, Vanaya would introduced me to she was my inside to the Miami and so you know Kino seeing him come up with the rims and the car I was like okay you know um and then having Japira BJ would just check on us because you know we were kind of quiet um and I can just see him now on the field just making sure because I had a lot of anxiety you know, and, and I was very observant, but I was super quiet because it was just such a culture shock for me. And Pup too, once he came out, you know, he would just make sure, you know, and every year he would just check on us more and more. And that really meant the world to me. It did. Yeah. yeah. So we'll transition over to you, Jada. Um, Jada, can you share even more memories of us that you have with BJ? Well, you know, me and B, we um, came out of high school. So he he originally was a football player, really. Um, he wasn't even in the band. Um, well, that's where the create the creatinine came from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was he was a we used to run, he was a football player, and he would um, somehody got enrolled in band, and so he came like in the spring. And uh, he he would play, and so I convinced I kept like, man, don't you get in the band? So then, I think it was our senior year, he got hurt, and he couldn't he couldn't play football anymore. So I got him into the band, and so then I was like, you know, I'm going to fam, you know, you want to? And and his stepdad is old school flat core. Um, I think Fall '76, uh, Sean Cotton, yeah. So, really? Yeah. 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 So. <laughs> So, um, because he had, we had that, that going. And then I was like, man, I'm, you know, we were like best friends. I mean, we hung together every day. Uh, girlfriend, boyfriend, and it, it didn't matter. The two of us was like, thick as these, like our, my boyfriend knew and his girlfriend knew like when we hung, uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So we were that tight. Um, <laughs> his mom is my mom. My mom was his mom. You know, we were, slept over each other's house. We had just, you know, each other's back like that. So it's like, I'm going to fam, man, you want to go? And so he had that. And then also he wanted to uh, go to pharmacy because he worked um, with somebody that was a pharmacist and he worked, uh, I think it was Eckert's back then. Eckert's, yeah. I want to say it was, I think now it was we're dating, Now we're dating ourselves. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, Definitely. yeah. Um, and he, he did some work with the pharmacy and a pharmacist and stuff like that. So he had that kind of on his mind. So it was like, okay. And his mom, you know, they worked on, like you're saying, the summer program to get him in. So I went to FGAMP during the summer. I was there too, but I was in a different program than what he was doing. And I met Delvin and some other folks yeah. first. Delvin on before trumpet, I, yeah. yeah, Delvin on trumpet. So um, we we were like that. So he, he was in the foot and I was over on the other side. So 
but that's how um we he got he kind of got the family i kind of like you know pushed him like i'm going won't you you know why don't you go you know and i i pushed him to play snare you know and but i, I said well, you know we get on the hill you probably know play snare well enough won't you you play tenor okay you know so <laughs> and uh so we just kind of like and it was and we was we were you know kind of blended it was like myself regina and him we was we, we call ourselves three-headed monster so our whole senior year we would that we ran the band and we, we kind of like the thing at lakewood so it's only natural that well jada going to famu i guess we all going to famu so uh, <laughs> um so that was so it that's how he he kind of got into it and and he's always been you know his family's like that um where he grew up he, he's the only child um so he's kind of spoiled too so you know <laughs> it's, uh, but his family's like that even now, you know, everybody takes care of everybody. And so that's the way we grew up. And so when we got the family, it was a cold culture shock because we were not, I used to get on him all the time. Like you be trying to act like you hard, man, you know, you from St. Pete, you know, we don't, <laughs> you know nothing about, no, we didn't know anything about the streets. Uh, we had none of that. We, uh, the area we live in is middle, you know, middle class, you know, everybody was middle class black people. Um, and we went Lakewood High School back then we were the last couple classes of what they call Hollywood High. So the, the kids off the beach went to school with us. And uh, BJ was very popular, so he knew everybody. So like, we go on the beach and hang out with kids, you know, this uh, developers were developing the beach, and building houses and stuff like that. We had friends that, you know, we go out there and, you know, matter of fact, I was uh, talking to his aunt, his aunt does my hair. So I was talking to his aunt and she was talking about, you know, what happened um, during homecoming? No, it was at the prom. His mom was like calling and crying, you know, crying because he didn't come home or whatever. I was like, B was on the beach with. <laughs> I know I didn't go with him, but he was, he was he was with one of the kids on the beach. I'm like, y'all didn't know that. Like, no, his mom thought he, he, he was something had happened. And I remember her calling us and she was crying and all that. I was like, why she didn't call me? She knew I knew where he was. So um it was that's the kind of uh environment we grew up in where, you know, our, our parents uh, conservative type, um, middle class, African American, even the Cosby Show type, you know. So we went to FAM and got around uh, Miami and <laughs> Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh it was like, you know, I used to get, I used to be trying to act like, you know, dude, we don't, you know, I don't, we didn't know, we didn't know gang life or nothing. We didn't know signs and nothing. We didn't know what in the world was going on, but he was, you know, BJ would just get in there. BJ was doing him. handshakes. He was doing handshakes like he was just doing this. And I'm like, what are you doing? I used to get on him. I'm like, what are you doing, man? You know, we from St. Pete, dude. We're we not from Tampa. We're from St. Pete. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's not urban, really. It's old people, you know, and uh, beach and stuff like that. So we weren't even, but that was, that, that, that was B. He just, and that's the thing about him. I think he could conform to any, anywhere he went he find friends and you know because he was he was homecoming no i'm sorry prom king because everybody loved him and mm -hmm. uh, there were not that many african because we went to a, a predominantly white school there were not that many african-americans that made prom king and queen and he was he was shooing everybody just knew wow you know, um i just went to a, the 25th we had a little meeting for the 25th anniversary for lakewood and that's everybody you know because they know me oh bj bj B, he's still you know, he he was a man, so wonderful. That's just the way he was. Right on. Well, thank you both so much for sharing those those memories. 
It's um, almost as if they're they're still here because we still are able to speak their names. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah to, to us, to us, they didn't. They may have transitioned from this life, but we still hold their names here. And uh, for me, as a uh, as a French horn player, you know, French horns were always uh, close with the baritones. Um, with Kino and and uh, Puffy, especially Puffy. Puffy was like, Kino, I had some classes with Kino. And he'll be like, freshman sis, you did your homework assignment? <laughs> freshman sis, you did your homework assignment? I was like, yeah, I did it, Kino. I struggled with it, but, but you know, just having Kino in class with me and then having Puff be like that big brother. So funny, the last homecoming, Puffy, Puffy was the one that took me back to my car because um, he, <laughs> Puffy was like, freshman sis, now you know good as well. You wearing them four inch heels to convocation and you parked up the hill. What you doing, freshman sis? <laughs> he took me back to the car. But first I was like, Puff, I need to go behind the stadium and get a, a, a get two FAMU t-shirts so I could wear Because I didn't have any FAMU t-shirts. I didn't have like any good ones. And we were just talking. We were just... Puff and I, anytime when we had a chance to catch up, we would talk like no time has passed. And he would always give that wisdom, that 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 wisdom. And even when we got together, I think I forgot the restaurant that we got, uh, that we all uh, met up with that uh, that Friday night. And Puff toward the end, you know, Puff in, in Puff fashion was cussing everybody out. Talking to so y'all go home, <laughs> y'all go home, y'all go home, y'all need to go to sleep. He was like, I need to go. My feet hurt. Yeah. It's just that old soul Puff had. Kino was just, just lively. Just just lively. A memory that I have with Kino. I think this was, I think this was fall 98. I don't, I don't know if Kino marched the whole season, but either way, don't ask me how Kino had a, a baritone and a and a uniform. But we turned to the side and I'm like. We got a stone. <laughs> He's like, shh, shh, we get a bone. Oh, wait. Oh, sorry. I can't. Yeah. Right. Anyway, um, <laughs> but just that, just, just those memories. I was about to say, let me get a blow pop. But either way, um, just those memories of, of, of Kino. Kino was just so, so lively, just so fun loving. Um, just, just all this personality. From 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 the times I had interactions with him, Definitely. and also BJ too. BJ would just have like these hand things going on, and these sayings. Oh my gosh! I mean, you BJ think it's was, a game? That is a game. Oh my gosh! I was saying that like a couple of weeks ago to a friend about you know a work project, and I'm saying you know they think it's a game. They think it's a game, and game. I'm like. <laughs> and you don't want to win. And I tell my kids that I said, "Oh, y'all, y'all think it's a game." Right, the hand movement. It's like, and it's like, wow, we're still doing these things. Yeah, twenty-five years later, saying these things. You know, just keeping, um, just keeping their memory going. You know what's what's crazy? If you've seen his daughter. Oh my God! You oh my God. That's his twin. She really? moved, but she moves in those movements. It's just really? no way she can know that. Wow. She has the the mannerisms as well. It's not only that she looked like him, 
but she has the mannerisms and it's oh, like goodness. wow when you wow. you like dude i'm looking at bj jr it's crazy yeah so um yeah. she's in college in uh indiana about to graduate so awesome, awesome. Yeah. Wow. So keep us posted we can support yeah. her I keep yeah. telling her, I'm like, girl, you got like 125, you know, uncles and aunts that you have. If she only knew to have. If she told her. Knew. I'm like, you need anything. You need to say something because, mm -hmm. girl, you, you just don't know. Yeah. We will so. come out the pocket for her because of her dad. Yeah. Sure. So Dang. shifting gears, um, Kawanza, one thing I did want to talk about is not just with fall 97 but with the hundred um when we lose one of our own i know we we do things that other bands may not do or they might you know this might be a way to um just spark conversation about how we handled you know loss grief death and dying um when it comes um to the hundred so would you mind just touching on um what are some things that you've observed over the years that are unique to us whether it be us as a class or what you've seen just with the hundred in general just the closeness um and the dedication through the years um that when we lose even on social media i mean the stories that people tell um from fall 83 on up to 2000, you really feel like you knew that person. Um, and it, it, like Tracy said, it's the stories. And so even as we're talking today and uh, keeping their memory alive, I, that is the unique uh, concept of the hundred is yes, musicianship, excellence and precision and marching but we go through things together. We all grew up together in some capacity. And so I do believe that when we lose um, a fellow hundred member or a class member that we've, we've literally lost a friend. We've lost um, a spirit that was there, you know, for us. And I say lose, but we have to find a way um, spiritually to connect because the, the, the physical part is, is no longer there. Um, but it, it is, it is a unique experience to have even, uh, to go through grief and to, to be a part of the overall story and individual stories. So, so it's, um, I think it is unique to the 100. I really do. Yes. And we have to give a shout out to Victor Gaines Frat for even, um, you know, having the wherewithal to um, organize an alumni chapter yes. where we march every year. We um, are still active like, <laughs> like it was yesterday. And I think through that vision, we're better able to stay connected. And I think that is the uniqueness of the hundred. That is true. Sure. It's true. Absolutely. We grieve. We grieve. We, we go through, um, you know, all five stages, um, the shock of it all. I mean, Puff shocked me. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. like to my core and just getting on um online with all of 
our freshman brothers and sisters after that just to say I love you and yes I'm thinking yeah. of you I mean that was that was mm -hmm. a really special moment um yeah, online I, I like to call it the the what was it like the online wake yeah yeah, yeah that's good Tracy yeah, yeah. that's online good it was it, it it just it just made me think of how we were all able to just quickly get on that zoom call I know for me, when I got the call, um, Elton, Elton called me and he was like, Tracy, where you at? I was like, well, I'm at work. I see, I need you to step away from the computer. I'm like, well, yeah. what do you mean? And, you know, my whole day was just after that. And then, you know, me and Vanilla, we were on the phone and then Andrea called me and, you know, and then the phone calls were coming in. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. It's like mm -hmm. when something happens to one of us. It's it like all of us, all of us, we all just start reaching out. Hey, are you okay? Did you, how are you feeling? You know, wow. You know, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Let's get together. Let's talk about this. You know, how we were able to just quickly get on zoom. It was like, I forgot how many, how many of us it was that night. But I, I think that's the, the wonder of 97. Cause I, I know there are other classes that we, we all have people, we know people from other classes and the hundred is, is tight. Anyway, because I, you know, I tell people all the time, I can go anywhere and be shocked that I'm gonna find a hundred member here. That, you know, walk through mm -hmm. a school with a shirt on. Somebody like, what's up? And like, you know, but there's something. There was something particular about '97. I don't know why or what, but we really, you know, always from day one hung together. I mean, you find us stacked up in a house or doing something with each other on the off time. So it's a bond that you know, even around here with Barry, you know, moving to St. Petersburg, and um, our churches are like sister churches. Really? It's weird. Yeah. Wow. It worked out. It worked. He, you know, he plays drums over there and he'll come help me out. He'll come play for me or whatever. Get but the thing that, him. yeah, all the time we, all the time. But the thing that, that get it is, is like our pastors, you know, they know each other really well and, and whatever. But when they saw us together, it was like, what's, what's this? And it's like, he marched and it's, they're looking at us like, well, dog, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you know, okay. People don't, now. people are trying to place that like, y'all still tight like that. It's like, yeah. And that's how yeah. our whole class is, you know. If I can share this memory, um, when we were at BJ's homegoing service, it was Barry, Sanders, um, you, Jada, Billy, and um, Richard. Sicily and David. Sicily and David. David. You guys got on the drums. Yes. You guys ran the cadences. Yes. Yeah. And filled that entire memorial park with everything. And I'm like, uh, I've been to memorial service. That was mm -hmm. one of the, 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 the best things to just witness how you guys just came together. Fell like right that. back in line. Fell right back in line. Back in the ranks. Back in the ranks. Play together in years. And in years. all of you guys just like struck up like it wasn't nothing. That was that was that was the moment for me. That was the moment for me, and the eloquent words that Barry—I'll never get. I, that's another memory that uh, Barry, Barry, you know, saying a few words, and he called us all reckless abandons. <laughs> but we all found a way to just unite with that, and I'm like, this, this is it, Fall '97. I, I just, this is it. This is right. my family. You could push it another further. Um, so Barry moves here and uh, by the move, whatever's going on with 
life and all this, he ends up having to move in with BJ's grandmother. Mm -hmm. And he takes oh. care of her to the end. He was there when she passed away. Wow. And he took care of her as if B, he took care of her like that was his granny. Um, oh my God. That's Barry. That's beautiful. That's 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 Barry. That's Big B. That's. But Big you think B. about because of BJ, you know, and the love BJ showed, it yeah, was not. It was nothing when when Barry hit over. town. One mm -hmm. of the first places he went after my house was BJ's mom's house, you know, and made a connection because that's just the way. 97 came up now. Barry is yes, he is. You know, he comes. He's an old soul too. Yes, he is. But they, it's the they relationship. They broke the mold on that one. They broke the mold on him. I'm sorry. We ain't gonna find another. Yeah. We ain't gonna find another beat. He's uh, a good okay. brother. He's a great brother. Cool. But also the relationship of the way BJ treated people. You know the Absolutely. way he was good with everybody. That carried on, and I mean to the end. I mean that boy cried and prayed for for Granny like that was his grandmother, and I mean he was there the night that she passed away. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. But that's that's us though. That's uh, that's called ninety seven. That's ninety seven. Yeah. Donnie had there's a song that I there's a song that I listen to that reminds me of every single one of y'all. Donnie Hathaway's "You Got a Friend" and it's the live version. If you ever have time, mm. go on YouTube. Donnie Hathaway, "You Got a Friend" live. That's that's you posted that Tracy. I was looking at that post. You posted that almost. Winter, Maybe spring, summer. years ago, after Kino passed, mm -hmm. and you had listed Kendrick at that time. It was Kendrick, BJ, yep. and it was something where you had just did a, a post remembering all of our freshman brothers who had passed at that time, that and song. you posted that song. Winter, mm -hmm. spring, summer, that. and fall. All you have to do is call, and I'll be there. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Anytime I hear that song, it's like that's Fall '97. Just the lyrics. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's powerful, powerful what this class had. Because, you know, um, alluding back to what Cliff was saying, you know, that kind of like that mentorship. We came to the hill, we had no mentors. I didn't have a mentor, yeah. right? Even though I came from Miami, the thing is I came from Miami, but I didn't come from um, the Miami that, uh, McDonald and Vanessa like Central and, and all them. Like I didn't come from I didn't come from that part of Miami. I came from the the middle class side of Miami. You know, it was predominantly Jamaican, West Indian, blah blah blah. blah. So it's like I had a different Miami. But mm -hmm. you know, so I'm coming up there. I, even though I had people from my high school with me, I still felt like I was by myself. I still felt mm -hmm. like I was by myself. But <laughs> it's so funny. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, when I went to band camp in 95 and yeah, I was with some, some, some of the folks from my high school, I will always have a soft spot for the freshman brothers and sisters from Miami central, because they took me in like I was their own. Mm -hmm. They took me in like I was there. Like, ah, come on, Norland. They called me Norland. Come over here, Norland. Let's go. <laughs> so then I got to, when I got there or when I got to fam, and again, uh, Martin, especially Martin, I met Martin in 95. So it's like, okay, at least I have, you know, kind of somebody around. And then freshman brother Lawrence, uh, El Wapo, Lawrence and Martin were very protective over me 
and Michelle. Like them, those two didn't want nothing happening to the both of us. Like it was like, nah, we, you know, but yet and still that mentorship is like, we kind of, we were left to figure it out by ourselves. And I didn't even know some of you guys had uh, the, the history and the background that you had because I, all you guys came up like on fire on your instruments and this, that, this, that to hear Cliff's story. I'm like, the hell? You never But you, you beasting out that storm and sunshine like it ain't nothing. What the, how, how, did this, how did this happen? How, Sway? How? <laughs> but I'll, tell you, I'll tell you guys this. I'll tell you guys this. I always play the concert horn. So when I came up on Mellophone, that was like my really, that was like my first time really playing on a mellophone. I had to go back to my trumpet knowledge to play the mellophone. So that's a, that's a, that's another thing about me. Right on. I had to go back to my, I had to go back to my knowledge on uh, trumpet to the fingerings and everything. That was from my trumpet knowledge because I was always on the concert horn. So that's a little known Tracy Black history fact. But, <laughs> but just, just the togetherness. So losing, um, I remember. And like I said, I'm, I'm, um, um, the, the French horns and baritones are close. Um, I remember when I got the call for Kino and I remember, I, I remember exactly where I was when I got the call for Kino and I remember exactly where I was when I got the call for Puff. And it, it's like an out of body experience. Mm -hmm. It's like, wait a minute, what? what, what are you talking about? Like I, I marched right next to the, 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 the baritone rank. I, Right, I marched next to my brother, my freshman brothers and sister, uh, Tracy. So it's like, you know, after after I got the call for Kino, um, me and Tracy we spoke for a little bit, and then just once again the, the reaching out and the phone call and the phone call and the phone call and the phone call. And I remember when I got the call for BJ, and I remember I remember exactly where I was. I was I was at I was still at home living with my parents, and I remember exactly where I was when um, when when uh, Barry called me, and um, I remember exactly where I was when Elton called me, and it's just the feeling. The first thing I thought about I was like I got to get close to my freshman brothers and sisters. I, that's the time when I want to feel them, you know. Even though we don't see each other every day but it's like that that connection that kindred yeah. because we all had to kind of figure it out by ourselves but with ourselves I can mm -hmm. honestly say I don't think there's another class like ours ours is very very unique for yeah, us sure. to come, for us to come like in a transitory period where Dr. Foster is going yeah. sunset and Dr. White is going mm -hmm. into sunrise. Mm -hmm. So we're right there in the middle. And you know, that that era, you know, and then this new era, and it's like we're kind of like caught in the middle and we're kind of like left to figure it out, you know. So it to this day, I think because of that unique experience, we're all still close um to this day. Definitely. And it's like even when we have those digital um digital wake <laughs> digital wakes where we remember and and all of that it it, it just kind of fires the connection back up to to to, to remain they live on and uh, each one of us shares a piece those memories that we hold that someone else may not have it's almost like you still get to see or hear a piece of them because there's just parts that like bj and hip-hop I knew he liked hip hop, but I didn't know to that to that level. 
Oh yeah. yeah. Just little oh, yeah. little bitty pieces. It's like, oh, that part makes sense. Or oh, okay. I I knew a piece of it, but I didn't know all of it. And so it's like you still get to and experience same. them through the stories. And the hands and the you blew it. You blew it. You it's over there. Oh, it's about to come and you gotta move your legs. Right. <laughs> always do that. Just those things that have become a part of us. They have definitely. Well, I thank all of you for sharing because I know this isn't something easy to talk about, but you made it easy to talk about. You made it oh, easy to talk about. Question for Kwanzaa. So with your profession, um, with counseling and and uh, just with those factions of how to ha properly handle grief, you know, what are the pointers? Like, what are those things that we can hold on to in terms of how to, you know, handle when we lose a loved one and how do we process that? If you could shed some light on that. That's um, that's a really uh, great question. And um, I wanna go back to something that you said um, and, and come up to that question. Yes. Um, when you lose, when we experience grief or a loss and uh, you get that phone call, um, literally it's a biological component that happens in your mind where, like you said, Tracy, I can remember the time where I was to each, um, it, it shows the level of love, but it also is the shock of it all that, you know, that this person is no longer here in the physical sense. Um, and I, I believe sometimes that prevents us from moving past and moving through all the stages of grief. Um, and the more we talk about it, even as we're talking about it tonight, um, and, and it, looking at the um, memorials over these years, it makes it somewhat easier. But if you're like me, you still have that kind of knot, you know, even now, you know, yeah. talking about it, I'm, I'm still, you know, pushing through the emotion that I would like to release right now. Right here um, for me, like, I'm like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so we pay attention to our bodies first and foremost as we're grieving because it's going to show up in your physiologically first. Um, and so the way we do it is we just have grace. Like you said, Tracy, we, we have to learn to openly or get with the people that we feel comfortable enough to be vulnerable around. And I'm again, I'm really thankful that our class can do that in pods of three, four, six, mm -hmm. or just hop on a Zoom. It mm -hmm. really helps you to move past that level of shock into you know bargaining and thinking about your immortality and then going through a depression stage it is um it is life and it is difficult and then getting to this point of acceptance where we talk about it and we find ways to memorialize that's really the most healthiest part of grief um, as well as keeping their memory alive so just knowing that there are five stages um, that, you know, keeping things repressed, um, that, that stress, that grief does sit up somewhere mm. and it has to be released. Uh, it has to be released. Um, that could be anger. Um, 
you know, that could be crying, that could be doing a lot of things. But I think if we check on, continue to check on each other as we continue to get older, um, we'll be able to, to have grace through grief. Um, and there are gifts in grief. I believe that if we go through the five stages, we can pull things out that will have been a lesson for us and how we wanna carry on their memory, but also live our lives um, a little bit better. And that to me came out um, of Puff's uh, transition. We all decided to take a look at our lives um, and we heard Cliff dancing, you know, and saw him dancing and doing things that we used to do when we were younger. Um, and I think that, that that was one of the positive gifts that came out of, of, of Puff's um, transition. Um, so those would be some of the, or those are some of the, the tidbits that I give my clients and I tell anybody. And that's what I went through, um, grieving my father and grieving Emery, grieving Puff and BJ and, you know, and our other freshman brother, um, because it's a part of life. Wow. Wow. I, it's, it's, Kwanzaa, um, and the reason why I wanted to take so much of time because you're an actual counselor, right? <laughs> this a is a licensed professional therapist. Let them know. Come on, come on. Get it right. Come on, get it right. Licensed professional. I'm licensed by the board, yes. Board certified. Carolina. Hello. Yes, that's that's what I'm talking about. Fall 97, we will let you know in a heartbeat. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you but, got it though, sis. You know. <laughs> it's it's so funny when you talked about, you know, it's like, uh, and it's, it has to be released. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I feel like, I feel like this episode is a special one because it's cathartic. Yes. It, it helps us to take what's pent up yeah. in, you know, and then we're coming up to homecoming and it's, it kind of, it's bringing back memories of when we were with these people mm. last last homecoming i went to convocation with lawrence and mcdonald and his family i was sitting there and i'm like dang you mean now it's a few years later or whatnot i i'm you know i'm not gonna you know you know see puff you know how how is this happening i remember that week i mean i i had to meet up with andrea me and andrea we had to go to uh, Sunday brunch just to like process in <sighs> because you know um it has to go somewhere yeah and you know Kwanzaa you 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 said it so eloquently you know it has to be released mm -hmm. when it gets stuck places it gets stuck places. in any form and it's not there's no perfect way for it to be you're right, Carmen. And you know, you're, you, you dealt with and you, you're professional, your colleague. Um, and I think, you know, our lineage of being strong, the first emotion that we go to is anger. Um, and so we have to, we have to model, you know, how to grieve and, and there is no appropriate way to grieve, but I do believe that if it's not released appropriately, grieving for long periods of time does cause heartbreak. It does, mm -hmm. it, it does cause you some physiological um, effects and that those are negative. You know, you hear people 
dying of a heart, you know, of a, of a heartbreak and things of that nature. And so we just have to talk about it more. We're all strong. We've, we've been reared and geared that way, especially as Black, you know, Americans. We have it in our blood, um, but we, we have to take some time to grieve you know, and really check in on each other and more importantly, ourselves. And there's there's a lot of ways you can do that. Just this right here, like Tracy, you said, this is, this is cathartic. You know, this is um, in a sense, you know, uh, unofficial therapy, but there are also uh, many ways that you can, you know, reach out to a professional. Um, you know, if you're not in that vulnerable stage where you want to talk to your friend um, or you have other unprocessed grief. And that's another thing. A lot of us have grieving, grieve, we're grieving different things. Um, and and it, it, it doesn't have to be just a physical loss. I mean, life is all about wins and losses. Mm -hmm. um, Cliff talked about it you know, economy and finances and all those things can cause uh, depression and anxiety. And so, um, you know, your city has local chapters. You can go on the board. Um, uh, all the states have a licensed board where you can go and look up a licensed professional. Um, you can call license to solve. Um, you can also um, go online. I mean, right now there's there's a lot of um, uh, clarity in terms of being able to reach out to a professional, um, but a friend is good too. And and this has been this has been really great. It really has. Yeah. Thank you for all all of you. Thank you for participating. You know, there was a time um, my freshman year. I remember when we used to, um, those of us that lived in Pattyfoot house, sometimes it'd be like one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock oh, in the yeah. morning. And we're still outside talking. But what I look at it now is that we were processing, processing what we were experiencing. We were making yeah. sense of our experience at FAMU and our experience in the hundred. At one time people would walk by and they'd be like, well, what are y'all doing out here for? Why aren't you in your room? Like, but, <laughs> it had, but it had a purpose in it, it and had I used to think well maybe I shouldn't be communicating I used to question that should I be communicating with my classmates so much or should I still be reaching out should I still be trying mm -hmm. to keep us all together as a class and continuing mm -hmm. the conversations but to I can see now that it has its purpose yes it, it absolutely Carmen it purpose to this, yeah. to this day we needed we we need each other just like you we do. um just like you, Cliff, when I went back to Miami, there was nothing. So the metropolis that you all see now, it wasn't like that when I went back, right? Mm -hmm. You couldn't just walk into somewhere and, you know, get a job because we had that, we had that really thick language barrier, you know, and at that time, we didn't really have an economy like, you know, Detroit had like an automotive, electricity and healthcare, blah, 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 blah. All we had was hotels and restaurants because it was so tourism heavy you know so even um going back home was another uh thing for me and I and I was still talking to my freshman brothers and sisters because that was like the support those calls Tracy yes I'll be on the phone yes. with Carmen man 
Oh no, why did I go to Spain? I got this degree. I can't do nothing with it. But just and post 9-11. 9-11 had just uh, happened. So think about tourism. No yeah. one's flying because 9-11 just happened. We were the planners. We graduated right into 9-11. And so yeah, a lot of industry took a hit right after we graduated. Big hit. On the phone with I'm on the phone with Carmen. Like, Carmen, what I'm going to do? You know, this, that, this, that. The times I did get to talk to Carmen because Carmen went in, into, she was in the service. Right. We so, all, we knew where we were heading. Right. So it was like, it's, it's just so funny how, you know, Cliff, when you talked about how Detroit, you know, lost its, you know, its stuff just got turned upside down. In yeah. South Florida, there was just nothing. You know, it's not, yeah. you have nothing. So imagine you're coming from, this high of having a support system, one, that weren't your parents, having the support system and being around different people, getting to know different people and um, having kindred spirits, right? And then you're done and you go back and you're like, now what do I do? That was a whole, that might need to be a, a, a different thing. How do we transition from post-FAMU to where we are right now? Oh man, that might well, be- I, I went back, so that's- <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure, but Jada, but Jada, I'm sure it was FM too. when you went back, I'm sure it was different. Too, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I was a different mindset when I it was a different you know, mindset. I was about in business, different, yeah, yeah. So it was like, all right, <laughs> now I'm here. Masters to get out of that, <laughs> right? It was like, okay, now I'm here. I got to go get this master's degree. It ain't no more support system. Ain't no kumbaya. Ain't no uh-huh. more. You got a friend. It's like, god dang, I better. I can't repeat no classes because these these graduate school hours is ridiculous and they're expensive as hell. Yeah, graduate school and it's money. A new, <laughs> and it was a new wave, a new generation coming in. So it's like, yeah. I'm sure there was some out of pocket moments, but oh, that might be a new episode. Oh my gosh, the transition. Mm-hmm. I think too, maybe something mm-hmm. to think about is- That, tra- right, right, and, right, the class, that transition, right? Right, that transition. And the 100 changed a lot. And uh, the 100 changed a lot. A lot. So mm-hmm. there was a rude awakening. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, because uh, I, I went back in like 2003, and it was okay. different. Yeah. That so, was it. That was, it was a wrap. Yeah. That might need to be Carmen. That might need to be a new episode. The transition. To be continued. Well, speaking of a wrap, <laughs> yes. it looks like um we're at that point. So I Sorry, thank Norm. you for um coming together, and thank you. I know we probably went over a little bit, Norm, but we'll make it work. Sorry, Norm. We'll we'll send you cookies and cream ice cream. But this is the Legends of the Fall. So I thank all of you for coming together and remembering our fallen classmates. Yes, thank you. Well, thank you, Carmen, for the invitation. Thank you, Carmen. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you for organizing this. Thank you.